The following is brought to you by TheKnowledge.com, Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. Welcome, everybody, to the Politics, Politics, Politics program for September 1st, 2021. It's your old friend, Justin Robert Young. We are going to rhapsodize the end of the Afghani war, the Afghanistan war, the war in Afghanistan, Operation Enduring Freedom. Was it or is that the other one? I guess the fact that I can't remember is kind of indicative of this entire process. And we will talk about that as well as the political consequences that come out of what was a fairly disastrous exit. You know? It was bad. It's about as bad as things can get. But even if it's bad, will it be washed away by the fact that it happened? Hmm. Food for thought. We will also talk a little bit more about COVID. One of the biggest questions that we have in this country is despite the fact that we are fairly well vaccinated, we continue to see case counts rise. And the question for not only right now, but also going forward is, what will the government do about it? More than that, what will private industry do about it? More than that, what will we do about it amongst ourselves and our own behaviors? To discuss all of that is somebody that I have found to be personally a very sage voice in terms of bringing context to some of the COVID numbers. He is political math himself, Matthias Shapiro. But first. For this combat mission for them, it had to come to an end. The U.S. military said for many, many months there was no military victory to be had, so it had an inevitable end to it. But I think many people will be left questioning tonight about the way those decisions were made, the way the evacuation was handled, and a final thought really just to those people still stuck in Afghanistan, at home, afraid, and feeling abandoned. At the end of the war, when the world disappears... America's longest war has ended. The last soldier out of Afghanistan was Army Major General Chris Donahue, commander of the 82nd Airborne Division. So file that one away for a future pub quiz. 20 years. 20 years of a fight to get a guy we couldn't get. So we toppled the people that prevented us from getting the guy. And then we just kind of hung out. We eventually did get the guy, though. He was next door. But we hung out a bit longer and now we've left. 
You know, when I had Kevin Ryan on a few weeks ago to discuss the morality of American foreign policy, this is the kind of stuff that I wanted to explore because we've ended a war, but we've left a war. Civil war is coming, if not arrived, in Afghanistan. The Taliban are the majority party, and they were the ones that were able to be, you know, temporary allies for us to get the hell out of Dodge. But even they could not stop a triple digit loss of life from one of their enemies, Daesh or Islamic State, ISIS-K, if you're nasty. So. Where's the good side of this? Where's the upside? Is the upside leaving? Is the upside stopping to fight? Is the upside not intervening in another country's sovereignty anymore? But then again, how do we define another country's sovereignty? We don't particularly seem to like the Taliban. Again, they were the reason that we were fighting so long to begin with. But also ISIS-K and Islamic State isn't exactly one of our besties. What was the goal? Did we achieve it? Should we feel good or bad that this is over? And realistically, since we should feel some shade of all of it, in what measures do we fill our buffet plate? 7,267 days earlier than yesterday. On October 7th, 2001, we began a mission. Nearly 20 years later, it ended as we left. Two governments deposed, school built, money made, money spent, and thousands dead. So many holes in lives left by those who are taken have scarred over, but America got a few freshies on the way out. 13 Marines dead. And yet, we keep coming back to the bottom line. The war in Afghanistan is now in the hands of historians, archivists, hell, maybe even reenactors eventually. They get this war now. We, those moving on, this podcast, we get the consequences. So let's say this again in unison. This withdrawal was a disaster. Wasn't the worst case disaster. Wasn't the worst case. We didn't get a plane shot down. (laughs) But again, we lost 13 Marines in an airport bombing. We struck back by drone attacking ISIS-K leaders, and we were so on guard against another suicide attack, we stopped one as they were on the way to the airport with a missile. Although, on second review, that might have been a car filled with innocent Afghan civilians and seven innocent children might have died. Oh, and they had already applied for their visas to come to America. Sheesh. But hell, if you look at that as the worst case scenario, then it's a better fate to simply be a stranded American in Afghanistan. And that's exactly what has happened to hundreds 
of Americans. Here is Pentagon spokesman John Kirby. So what does that look like? How does diplomacy get those people out of the Taliban-controlled Afghanistan? It's not completely unlike the way we do it elsewhere around the world. I mean, we have uh, Americans that get stranded in, in, uh, in countries all the time. Look, the fact that this could have gone worse is a testament to the infinite nature of pain. It doesn't mean that it went well. This was a bad job by the Biden administration, and I believe it's something that will eventually lead to firings in either the Department of Defense or the State Department. In fact, my suspicion is, and this might have already happened by the time that you listen to this, that since boots have now officially left the ground, we're probably going to see some pretty pointed, non-attributed comments from either side of that divide trying to blame the other. So when you read articles talking about how incompetent the Pentagon is, just kind of assume it's coming from the State Department. And when you read about how absolutely moronic the State Department handled things, just go ahead and assume it came from the Pentagon. When we talk about retail politics, when we talk about the actual elections and stuff like that, whether or not the Democrats or the Republicans will control uh, you know, the houses of Congress or the White House, this is a slam dunk right on Biden's dome. In fact, you can already hear the negative ad. Joe Biden is the adult in the room? Wrong. The Afghan government will likely collapse. That is not true. Wrong. Biden's weak exit left our allies in the breeze, and the Taliban took over immediately. And if there are American forces, if there's American citizens left, we're going to stay till we get them all out. Wrong. According to Biden's own Pentagon, we've left hundreds behind in the control of the same enemy we fought for 20 years. We're going to stay till we get them all out. Joe Biden and whatever Democrat this ad is tying him to? Wrong. Wrong on Afghanistan. Wrong for America. This ad is a theoretical recreation of an ad that will probably happen a little bit later and be paid for by some shadowy pack that your grandmother donated to. So let's only look at the stagecraft of politics for a second. Leaving all actual leadership out of it. The only way that you make a bad situation worse is repeatedly shoving your foot in your mouth by saying that something is going to happen when it doesn't. And at nearly every turn, Joe Biden said the thing that was almost immediately proven wrong. And yet, if I were Joe Biden, man, it's September 1st. Well, I would wake up with a pep in my step. I would wake up clicking my heels because it is a great day to be Joe Biden. Now, now, now great is a relative term, okay? Like, you know, uh, uh, there, are, there are certain people for whom great is, is great for everybody. But in terms of where Joe Biden was, boy, does September 1st look a lot better than any day in August, because unlike the last few weeks, when he wakes up, he will not be actively presiding over a disastrous exit in Afghanistan. No, 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 no. He's got something to show for it. Something that will likely last longer than the manner in which it happened. One of my favorite motivational sayings is from a Hall of Fame football coach by the name of Jimmy Johnson. And it's don't tell me about the labor Show me the baby. Well, Biden's got a bouncing baby boy named No More War in Afghanistan that he's going to be able to show off. 
And my suspicion is that that fact will linger longer than the feelings of the moment. You know. Unless, of course, one of the Americans left behind gets, like, murdered or something. Yeah. Then for Biden, it might be wake me up when September ends. One of the biggest questions that I've thrown around in the last few months of a post-vaccine America is, does any authority, local, county, state, federal, have the political capital to do COVID lockdowns again? Banning indoor dining, banning bars, restricting hours, putting in curfews. According to KHON2 in Hawaii, apparently someone's going to try. Hawaiian Lieutenant Governor uh, Josh Green is proposing a 72-hour lockdown over Labor Day weekend. This comes after Hawaii has seen its largest case count of the pandemic. This is something that I kind of wonder about, which is partly with these cases, is that like, We don't know in the same way that we used to the amount of daily tests that are happening. You know, retail tests are now a thing. People are able to order them online. So it's not like you have to go to a a, a place to do a test. You You can do multiple tests yourself. But I do wonder whether or not that has led to more case counts and specifically more breakthrough case counts. But still, Hawaii is kind of an interesting place for this to happen because not only is it an island which tends to be overly fixated on things that are happening on the closed ecosystem of the island. This happens anywhere there's an island, by the way. It really, to me, just transcends any kind of regional culture. Uh, Things can get out of hand on an island and be a problem for a lot longer than on a larger uh, interconnected group of land. But yet, as it was pointed out on Twitter, Hawaii is over 87% vaccinated with one shot and seniors on the island are 97 plus percent vaccinated by the same metric. This should be the place where even if there are larger case counts, you should be able to weather it. But yet, they want to lock it down for 72 hours over Labor Day weekend, or at least the lieutenant governor does. This would represent a pretty interesting twist as America rolls into what would be a very interesting fall and winter with the Delta variant. The man on Twitter that pointed out that statistic is Matthias Shapiro, otherwise known as Political Math, and he joins us right now to discuss this and much more. Welcome to the show, Matthias. Hey, thanks for having me on. And welcome back to the show because we've enjoyed having you on a couple times now. Uh, a few months ago, you uh, uh, made a big show of it on your Substack. You said, I'm walking away from this COVID stuff. Like, uh, I, I've been way too focused on it. I feel like my job is done here. The vaccines <laughs> are safe and effective. Uh, 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 you, you, you left your boots in the ring and that was it. Uh, and now, yeah. and now, much like the Godfather, uh, <laughs> they pulled you back in. Uh, 
where are oh, we at man. right now with uh, a COVID by year estimation? So, uh, man, a lot has happened. Uh, I when when I said that I was going to be done, it was I was saying I'm like cases are down, vaccines are going in arms, um, things are looking to calm down, and. Two months later, I'm I'm getting ready to go move and uh, and cases start shooting up uh, during in the summer. Uh, right now, like right at this very instant, uh, it looks like we are on the downside of a summer wave. Okay, that has mostly hit the southern part of the United States, like everything from like te- from Texas over to Florida. Uh, and Florida's gotten hit pretty hard, but uh, but people we hear a lot about that in the media. Louisiana actually got hit harder. Yeah, uh, Mississippi got hit super hard. Alabama weirdly didn't get hit as hard. And that's a thing that like uh, we we can dig into uh, some of that. A lot of the stuff like if if you asked me why a lot of the stuff that's happening is happening, I'm gonna guess and I'll yeah. throw out some possibilities, but. Um, some of this might might be stuff that either we can't know or we just don't have data yet for yet. Maybe we'll know in six months. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if, if you have specific questions about specific areas, like you can jump in. I, I can say one of the weirder things. That Go ahead. I've, yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me the weirder things. So, so the weirder things, Florida really has gotten hit hard. Yeah. Um, that's surprising to me well, because Florida, Florida got hit hard at deaths compared to Louisiana and Mississippi. That in particular is really weird because Florida's like 20 points higher on vaccinations than yeah. Louisiana or Mississippi. Like that's just not even close to what we expected out of this. Um, and one of the one of the things that I think is happening there is that previously Florida was doing about national average, right? Yeah. Um, in terms of, and especially in terms of deaths. Uh, but which was actually good news because Florida is an old place. Very, it's like the very old population. Old, yeah. Very old. Um, like the third oldest population in the United States uh, or state in the United States. And so the thing that I think is happening and I'm trying to like wrangle with the data to, to be a hundred percent sure is I think with, with the, the number of vaccines that have gone out, um, the, the, Florida's elderly population, 65 plus, is like 95% vaccinated. It's like yeah. way up there. Uh, but one of the things is that COVID is like COVID is hitting, definitely it's hitting the unvaccinated more than the vaccinated. That's totally a thing. Yeah. It's also, but it's all, it, it hits elderly a lot, a lot more than younger people. Um, even with even with the elderly almost entirely vaccinated, even with younger people consistently being the lowest vaccinated group, elderly complications are higher. So, so, so you higher. are saying even in breakthrough cases with Delta, they are hitting it is it is uh, it is disproportionately the elderly population. Yes, it is. And, and that is. A really hard. I, I, we're not seeing a whole lot about that in the media right now um, because there's still because there's still enough unvaccinated people that it is like if you look at back, unvaccinated vaccinated numbers, um, it is heavily more unvaccinated. Um, but it, it's uh, my sense is that with the vaccines in play, COVID 
starts to act more like the flu. Okay. And with the flu, deaths with the elderly with the flu is almost always something along the lines of like, this guy had like heart problems, yeah. cancer, right? Like he's got all these things that are going on and the flu just tipped him over, yeah. right? Like it was just the thing that that, that t- tipped the scales. And it sounds like that's happening with COVID as well. Where, even even uh, with even within the and and let me with let the me, vaccine. yeah and let me let me let me let me say this right now just before you even <laughs> open your email, uh, I you guys know my stance on vaccines. I I'm, right. the, I'm the one selling COVID shots equals body shots T-shirts. Like right. I, I am here to to make sure that and I, and I know from the yeah. writing of of of, of Matthias that he feels a hundred percent the same way. So this is in no way casting any kind of doubt on the efficacy or the safety of these vaccines. They are a hundred percent. Uh, uh, something that I believe if that is in your interest that you should investigate by talking to your own health professional, if you have not already got one, but uh, uh, it is important that we do understand this stuff. Uh, Yeah. I I would say that it sounds a lot like, so one of the things that way unexpected for me is I really expected like full blown immunity from these vaccines or like real, real solid immunity. And it, what it looks like is the vaccines, especially especially for the elderly, are turning COVID from like a super dangerous disease yeah. to the flu. Yes, which is which is great news. Also, the flu kills a lot of people. Yeah, right. And so that's that's kind of where we're getting to for, from my estimate. My, I I I hate making predictions. I that I've I, I've been burned making predictions. Everybody's been burned making. I, I don't uh-huh. think anybody's come out clean on COVID. Right? Right. I don't think anybody, anybody, somebody has been made to look like the horse's ass at some point during this process. Right, right. But I, the thing that I'm expecting now is that we're going to see COVID surge that looks like a bad flu season this this winter. Yeah. Um, and it's going to hit everybody and it's going to hit everywhere. Um, and that's going to suck, but it's not what it was last winter. It's not going to be that vaccine. Well, we got so many vaccines. Let's let let's get into why. Um, from your your view, you always break things down in terms of cases and deaths. The hope with the vaccine from the very beginning, especially if you looked at some of those efficacy rates, was mm-hmm. that we would begin to decouple the case numbers and the death numbers, even as this has resurged. Are we seeing that in the numbers that have happened during the summer? We are. We are. And and that, that one of the more promising, uh, let's sort of like look into the future states is Missouri. Missouri was one of the first states to see a big COVID surge this summer. Uh, and they are well on the downturn for that. Uh, the numbers the numbers were way higher than I expected them to be for cases. But their deaths, their death rate went, was a was a relative blip compared to what it was before. Um, yeah. Compared to compared to whenever we saw cases get this high, uh, you would see deaths get to a certain range, and it's maybe one third that high, which is which is great news. I mean, we'd love for it to not exist anymore. Sure. <laughs> but yeah. But but we are seeing a, a much more muted death response um, this uh, in, in the surges that we're seeing now than we did than we saw nine months ago. So based on what you've said, if you're in a state like Florida, where we have, where there, there is a, a, a much larger elderly population, then you're probably going to see more deaths than you will in a state with a younger population. And that would be Missouri. They got hit earlier. It, it, 
it, right. do we have any sense either in the United States with regional outbreaks or looking uh, around the, the the world with Delta? Is there any general rule of thumb on on when the surges kind of come and go? Is it a month and a half, three months, four months? So usually uh, the most startling and, and I, I feel underappreciated sense of when stuff is happening, of, of when COVID surges happen has been weather. When yeah. it gets super hot in the South, everybody goes inside where there's air conditioning and then it spreads. Um, when I think... The, the plain states, the North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota, Montana, um, have the, the, the dip, the cold dip that comes in in sort of uh, mid-fall, right? Yeah. And so weather is not 100% predictable, but to the extent that it gets colder, that's going to drive more people inside. That's probably going to drive transmission. Just that it is what it is. Um, and so I think as, as we get into winter, it's just going to be watching the regional winter patterns. Um, and as it gets colder, it, you're going to see surges and, um, you know, and, and I mean, if the, if, if you, if you weren't vaccinated, it sounds like your listeners are probably pretty vaccinated, but if they weren't now is the best time to get vaccinated because you're going to have, <laughs> you're going to have protection going into that winter. The, the winter yeah. Months, yeah. Right? I mean, uh, uh, I, I do my best and we're going to get into, <laughs> into how we can best motivate and keep, keep <laughs> safe and and government's role in that in, in, in a second sure. when we talk about the mask mandates, but like, yeah, in, in general, if you're on the fence, Conduct. Yep. Please talk to a health professional that you trust. <laughs> like that's right, that's all right. I'll say. I, uh, and I can say personally, I've been very happy with my experience with the vaccine. Uh, I, I, I will say that one of the really encouraging things is and uh, has been that it looks like from the studies that come out that if you've had a previous infection, a COVID infection, you're fairly well protected. Uh, there's yes. been a couple of new studies that are showing like really fairly good protection for previous infections. That's good news. That's actually my unofficial guess as to why Alabama didn't get hit. It's because Alabama got, got hit so bad. They got thrashed in yeah. the in in the uh previous in some of the previous things. Um and and I I fingers crossed think that maybe that's muting the the surges now. Um so I think you you already kind of spelled out my last question in terms of uh you know, the, the larger patterns here in that, uh, we've already seen effectively what we saw last year, uh, uh, big outbreaks in the Sunbelt States during the summer. And then, uh, that would unfortunately presage that we might see outbreaks in the, uh, uh, Northern States during the winter when everybody is inside a lot more because of inhospitable weather, do we have any sense? Because Florida, at least a, 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 among the southern states, even in the areas that that we are seeing high uh, high high case numbers, are pretty vaccinated. Florida, a fairly vaccinated right. state, especially compared right. to some of its its uh, neighbors there in the deep south. Yep. Do we have any sense that some of these northern states that are very 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 well vaccinated, among the highest vaccine rates right. in in the country? are going to fare any, any better? Have we seen a very high vaccinated area be hit by Delta and see how it reacts? There, there have been a couple of studies that look at areas that are like county level. And it's, yeah. I, for me, that's just too small a sample to really, to really be able to say one, thing, one way or the other. 
Uh, one thing is that the Northeast is older. Um, yeah. And so that may, that may be something that, that is worrisome. Um, if, but, if, if, if we see what happened in Florida happen in the Northeast, then we would probably have more deaths than we might expect when we look at the vaccine percentage numbers simply because uh, it's an older population. A, a huge unknown on all of this is uh, the question of booster shots. Yeah. Uh, because the, I have not seen any information. Or, uh, so what, what happens with booster shots is, is that you people are getting COVID. You can give someone a COVID booster shot and their antibody level increases. Yeah. Um, and they're generally speaking, they see higher protection when you have higher antibodies. Um, the thing that I am not seeing yet is any study that says, and those higher antibody levels actually show up in higher protection. I'm waiting for that study to come out. And quite frankly, the FDA is waiting for that study to come out. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think today or tomorrow, there's supposed to be a big meeting in which the FDA, uh, goes to approve boosters. And, uh, I, oh man, I got to find out when that's happening because I want to listen in. Um, but those, those, those meetings I've found are very non-political. They yeah. actually get, a, they, they always seem to be getting annoyed because people are paying attention to them. They used to be able to do all this stuff and nobody cared. Nobody right? cared. Yeah. And so they could just, they could just be like weirdo vaccine nerds and talk about things and talk about studies. And now everybody's paying attention to them. They're like, no. Yeah. Um, but so, so I know, I know some people who are planning on taking booster shots because they're basically like, well, it can't hurt. Yeah. Um, and I know some people who are waiting. You are, you on, are, you are talking to one. You are yeah. talking to somebody oh. who is very, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to double bag it. Uh, uh, see, yeah. and, and I feel like, like you and I can connect here. Cause like, I really want to know what, the, what I want to see the data first. Yeah. Right. And I have no, I, like to me, both of those positions are perfectly reasonable. Right. Yeah. If you want to jump ahead of it, it doesn't look like it hurts. So why not go ahead? Um, but if you want to, I, I would like to know like what I'm gaining if I get the booster shot. And, and so um, that may be if booster shots become a big thing, maybe that does do better protection. Maybe the Northeast benefits from being like back behind the curve on uh, behind the curve being like the COVID curve. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Seeing that the vaccinations aren't giving the protection we had hoped on a population level, they might try to boost that protection with another shot. Um, maybe that helps. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, man, I, 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 I very much am uh, curious about uh, all this as we have been since the very beginning. And I guess that's the only thing that we can, that we can say is you know, the only thing I've seen about booster shots was, you know, just skimming a, a study from, uh, Israel, that has has administered booster shots that it seems like that has faded. But then again, Israel's a small country and they're fairly well, you know, uh, uh, tied in. There's not a, a, a tremendous amount of travel in the way that we have cross state travel here in America. So sure, it's yeah. like there's there, there's a lot of mitigating factors that might just be like, all right, so maybe that was just Delta running its course and now it's done and maybe it hasn't. Yeah, no, it's it, 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 it's it's hard to say. I mean, I'm, I'm basically my expectation is a winter wave that is maybe that is maybe a third of what we saw in the slot in, in the previous yeah. winter. Um, and that what that would probably look like. So we there was a there was a monster uh, flu wave back in 2018. Maybe it was 2017, 2018. 
flu season. Yeah. Uh, and if you look and you, if you look at like uh, the excess deaths that CDC publishes, it went pretty pretty well above that. It was a it was a solid wave and it sucked, right? Um, but but it wasn't a big news story because pandemics weren't a news story back then. Yeah. Um, I would not be at all surprised if we had something that looked like that flu wave. Um, and I wouldn't be very surprised if this is the, the beginning. I like it, it, it's hard. To, it's hard to say. The one, one thing we can't say, and we should circle back to this, is that zero COVID is not a thing. It never will be. Um, but I think what may end up happening here is that COVID is just the new flu. Right. And that every yeah. every every year it follows flu patterns because it spreads like the flu does. Um, and I, I expect people will just start being more cautious. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we had seasonal masks or people like, I, I don't think mask mandates are plausible in the long term forever, but it wouldn't well, let's surprise. Let's get into that. I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned that because that's the other thing that I wanted to talk to you about. Uh, we will get back to our interview with uh, political math in a second, but I wanted to take this moment to just thank all of you who stepped up because I got my own little mission accomplished announcement for you guys. We did it. We broke the streak. The market correction is over. America cares about politics again, and you guys have shown it with your support to this podcast. Woo! Oh, I feel good. I feel good about it. Oh, my God. It's a little nerve-wracking. A little nerve-wracking. Now, I mean, like, like look, there, we had attrition on, on, on the Patreon. It was never... You know, the, the worst thing on the planet, but you, you always hate to see that number go down instead of go up. I understood there was a lot of people that are on just for the election, and so we're going to lose some of them. But you guys kept it alive, and now you have allowed it to thrive once again. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. The Patreon that powers this entire program is back in the Black folks who have joined in at the $1 level. You just want to support it. You're in the big tent tier. If you want two bonus episodes each and every week, that is the $3 club. You get a bonus podcast on Monday morning. The first podcast that you should listen to each and every week. If you care about politics and the late edition, our Thursday podcast, which includes the latest news that breaks during the week since I record the Friday episode a little bit earlier. And then, of course, you get your $10 tier. I shout out your name at the end of the show. We got contributions at all of those levels, and I could not, could not be more thrilled to make this product for you. For you! That is TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Now, let's get back to our interview with Thaya Shapiro. Politics, 
you uh, as among to being a a a, a citizen uh, data vigilante. I don't know. I don't know if uh, I don't know where where, where you want to uh, uh, classify yourself because that seems to be its own sub question in our world of the internet. But uh, you are also a father. You're somebody who yes. has uh, uh, had a lot of questions about in-person schooling and school boards. So this is obviously something that I want to make clear is, is a personal issue for you, but I would very much mm -hmm. encourage everybody to go read your article uh, that you put out on Substack about mask mandates and the science behind them, the data science behind for, for them. For children. For children. For, for children. children. Sorry. Very schools. Let me say this specifically. <laughs> yeah. This is about school mask mandates, right? Right. Uh, cause yeah. not only do I feel like you, you make your argument and you are on one side of this as we will hear, mm -hmm. but also yeah. you laid out arguments on the other side because the, you know, the best arguments are ones that you have to, uh, understand where, where the other side is coming from. So let, let's go ahead and start in, in writ large. What is your take on school mask mandates? I think school mask mandates are basically useless. Um, kids are extremely low fixed. They have extremely low rates of symptomatic COVID. Um, and the, all of the studies that I could find showed that there weren't any differences. There weren't substantial differences between kids, uh, between schools that had mask mandates and schools that didn't have mask mandates in terms of, in terms of, uh, uh rates of COVID among the children or among the, te uh, no, or, yeah, among the children and the teachers. Um, when it came when it came to student mask mandates, and I want to make that very very clear that I'm talking about student mask mandates because we found something different when we talked about teacher masks. Um, we saw repeatedly in study after study that when when there is spread in schools, specifically, you can identify the spread that happening in school is almost always from a teacher to mostly other teachers and sometimes to students, um, and. And one of the mitigations that was studied was student masking, which showed very little difference in COVID rates. COVID rates basically in, in schools reflected the COVID rates in the surrounding community, which is basically the adults are getting COVID and the kids are getting COVID at the same rates as the adults because they get COVID, they test positive for COVID, but they don't really have any symptoms. Right? Gotcha. Um, and, but, but there, we do see, a small, a small difference in rates of COVID when there's teachers' masks, teaching when teachers are using masks, um, which is, is interesting because that maps to some of, the, uh, some of the masking studies where we do see small rates of reduction in COVID in places that do have large-scale mask use. Um, and that, that puts me in like a super weird position because usually you have people who are pro masks all the time for everybody. And you have people yeah. who are anti-masks all the time for everybody. And I'm like, masks for adults does seem to correlate with, with small decreases, 20% or so. It's not, you know, it's not, if you don't wear a mask, if you wear a mask, you won't get it. Yeah. But it does seem to reduce transmission in adults. We don't see that with kids. Now, I'm going to do my best to channel the the sputtering rage of anybody who is listening to anybody say anything about masks, because I know that that is an element of the population, including, I'm sure, the many fine people that are listening right now. Uh, of the studies that you found, 
have we seen anything with Delta specifically? And uh, how do we reconcile that with the fact that we are seeing a higher rate of child hospitalization uh, with, with COVID more recently, although maybe not a, a, a it, huge spike? Right. It's, it's tricky because the increased rate of child hospitalization is still several, several orders of magnitude lower than the rate of hospitalization for vaccinated seniors, right? And so yeah. we, we talked about how this, this is hitting old people hard and, and, but, and it's hitting young people far less hard. Um, so, oh, thank you, well, uh, the, right, <laughs> kids, so, so, kids, yeah, so kids no, going to the hospital. There's, there, there are no studies yet on Delta specifically. I mean, Delta's only yeah. really been around for about the last two months, right? Or the, these surges associated with Delta have been having the last two months. We just don't have any, any data right now on that. Um, but it, I, I don't think it's, it, it's going to be a really hard time. We're going to have a hard time looking at this data because a lot of it is so difficult. It's so politicized. One thing that I have just discovered in the past couple of days is that quarantine, like quarantine numbers are not meaningful numbers because every region has a different definition for when people have to go into quarantine. Um, And so, and so like, you know, and and this isn't just state by state, this is like school district by school district. And so once one district may be trying to be more cautious and we'll have, and we'll send an entire class home if they, you know, if one kid got test positive and then another school district might be, well, only if you were within their, their close circle, only like the end, you know, they're trying to separate kids out. So in a single classroom, they'll do three kid groups and they'll only send those kids home. So it's like, so quarantine numbers are just like, they, they're, they, they're not meaningful when comparing different groups together. Right. Um, it's really only case numbers. Uh, hospitalizations are meaningful. Um, the hospitalizations are also a little tricky because there's um, there's a distinction between in the hospital with COVID and in the hospital for COVID. Um, a lot of kids test positive for COVID who have no symptoms. Um, a lot of kids who go to the hospital wow. with other diseases test positive for COVID and don't and, and aren't symptomatic for it. And so it, that's I I. It's, it's really tough. It's a tough ball to unwind. Um, and it, it's tough. It's, it's weird and frustrating. And I, I always feel like a jerk doing it because I'm like, okay, here are the two things you need to take to be watching cases and deaths. And there's a lot of stuff that happens in between an asymptomatic case of COVID and a yeah. death. Like there, that's a big range of stuff. That's that society. The, the entirety <laughs> of, of the world is is between an asymptomatic case of COVID and right. and and a death. But 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 the, the fact of the matter is that like cases, people just test right. People test for things when they're worried, and so cases are going to go up when people are worried about COVID. Um, and, and deaths, you can't fake, right? Yeah. Like people, when people die, they die. And it ha- and we have a recording structure such that, um, it, well, you I mean, you can, to- you can, you can, you can hide them if you're Cuomo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, can, no, I mean, no. all right. Can I just, as somebody who's watched sure. these numbers, like some <sighs> a thousand dead and I, we didn't even talk about it that much on this show, but they, that dude hid 
12,000 so, COVID deaths. So can I, can I give you my, my very generous theory about what happened there? Right after I point out to people that they had 40,000 COVID deaths. So a fourth were, were, were revealed by the new incoming now governor of New York. All right. So so please be generous. So my, my theory about what happened there is that um, when they started doing all, all the data, they were looking at their death numbers. They're like, this is a nightmare. Holy crap. And somebody was like, well, it, let's okay. Let's try to be careful here. Let's only count the deaths that are po- that we're certain are COVID. They, they test positive for COVID. We're only going to count those ones, right? Yeah. And uh, and over the first few months of this crisis, states started uh, surrounding states, not New York, but surrounding states started saying, actually, there's a lot of deaths that never tested positive for COVID, but we're like ninety percent sure they were COVID because they had this, the, all the, the risk profile. A lot, of, especially. A lot of people who died in hospice care or died at home and you didn't get a chance to test them. Right. Um, Those were probable numbers. And over the over the first couple months of this pandemic into, I would say, July and August, um, all the states basically caught up to this pattern and they all started adding the probable deaths along with the confirmed deaths. And I I I think that the, the state of New York's health department was too embarrassed because the number of probable deaths was so high that they didn't yeah. want to be like, and, and I, I, I suspect there was political pressure as well. That was like, I, I also suspect Matthias. I also, <laughs> uh, I also have a sneaking suspicion. Yeah. And I can't just confirm, like, but I'm suspicious. It was just like political pressure along with this embarrassment of like, we can't admit that we lost that many more people, but the CDC was counting them. Right. The CDC was yeah. already counting all of those things. The C- and, and it was just the state of New York that like didn't want to admit this happened. And then with Cuomo gone, it's like the the new, the incoming governor can bite that bullet without anybody yes. yelling at her because she didn't do it. No, right? no, no, it's, and, it's it makes her great. This is this is an amazing thing. It's, it's like, look at right. commitment to transparency. Right. And so like I just. It, I, 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 throughout this entire pandemic, I have been really like, I don't see evil around the corner all the time. Um, yeah. And, and I think I, I, I don't, I, I have very little respect for Cuomo because it feels to me like he didn't bite those bullets. Right. Like he, he, it feels to me like he was pushing against his department of health, which is like, we probably need to catch up with everybody else and do the right thing. And yeah. it, it, it seems like he was like, I don't want to. So that, that, that's my, that's my guesstimate of what happened. Having, having talked to, Oh my God, so many people in so many departments of health. Uh, so. Well, in his defense, he had a book to push. Uh, so oh. the, the one last thing here to get out the door on. Yep you've talked a lot, you've written a lot and you've studied the numbers uh, of effectiveness uh, of, of, of various things, various different measures uh, from lockdowns to mask mandates and, and, and everything in between. Uh, I, I want to make this more of a philosophical question. And so you can mm-hmm. dial in and out on, on specific, you know, uh, uh, conservative or, or liberal kind of philosophies on it. But like, where we are now, and I think you you very eloquently put it in one of your uh, recent emails that we should 
expect at some point that we're all going to get COVID and, and, and we should, we should understand that like that if we, if it doesn't happen, then great for us. Uh, uh, but let's be as prepared as possible for a situation where eventually we are going to get it. I don't know if the, the, uh, American spirit will ever be, uh, you know, uh, among that uh, or within that philosophy. But I do know that politicians have tried a lot of different things. Uh, where are we now in terms of the 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 idea of mitigation factors? And do you think that we are following any kind of trend of the mitigation factors getting more or less effective or uh, more or less restrictive. I, I am, I would be hard pressed to be, to, to give, uh, give you a mitigation that I think is really effective. Uh, I can tell you some, some mitigation measures that suck. Uh, the, the, the yeah. plastic sheeting, don't do that. That doesn't work. Um, and we've seen that in a couple of studies, but I mean, Ventilation seems to work somewhat, uh, yeah. and so you know, like better so ventilation. That, that is that is in your if you're if you're in a restaurant or a school or something. Not not ventilators right. when you go to the uh, ICU. <laughs> no. Yeah, 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 yeah. This, this is just try to reduce reduce COVID rates generally yeah. speaking. Yeah, I mean, uh, ventil ventilation. Uh, one of the things that I'm doing my on on my own. Uh, is I am planning to do more things outside when I have friends and family. I'm, I'm yeah. trying to, I'm, I'm buying a new house. And one of the things that I'm working on with that house is to make sure that like it's, it's comfortable to be outside in the winter or in the summer. Uh, and, and like, that's, I, I expect that to be a lifelong thing for me now. It's just yeah. like, let's be outside when we can. Right. Um, but outside of like, I think the, the thing we need to be looking at and be thinking super hard about with mitigation is, is this sustainable in the long term, because we're, I mean, maybe you could make the case that we should have mitigations for this winter to try to get more people vaccinated. But my sense of things is that like, you're, we're scraping the bottom of the barrel of people who are going to get vaccinated. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and the, and for whatever reason, I don't like vaccine mandates just because I don't like mandates. Um, I, 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 something sets my teeth on edge when we're like, if you don't do this, I'm going to make you do this. Oh. Well, here's, here's my Ooh. question. I don't know if it's effective. Like where I, 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 vaccine mandates are, are, are uh, effective, you know? And, and I, all I do know is that it does seem to be like a bit of a hail Mary where you better hope it's effective because <laughs> right. like, this is the kind of stuff that, that creates conflict between people and, and government. Right. And like, I, I don't necessarily have anything philosophically. Well, I mean, I guess philosophically I have, I have questions about mandates, but mostly because uh, is, is it effective? Is it going to get us to where right. we need to go? Or are we just setting a, a situation for a black market and, and uh, you know, people that are going to be looking to, 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 to skirt it or, or, or creating well, I, more situations where we need more enforcement for, for that is physically impossible. I, I, I think we're, we're kind of circling around the core question, which is like, what's, what are we trying to do? Right. Yes. Are we trying to, are we trying to eradicate COVID? Cause we should stop trying to do that. That's never going to happen. 
where yeah. that ship is way, way sailed. Um, but, so that being said, are we, are, are, are we, do we now live in a world where we try to seasonally reduce the spread of infectious diseases through public policy? Yeah. I'm uncomfortable with that. We have never done that on, a, on, an, on an ongoing basis with no end to it, right? Like the closest thing to this is the 1918 flu pandemic. Yep. Um, and, that, and there they had various mitigations that lasted about 18 months, which is about where we are. Yeah. Um, and, but, but eventually people stopped caring about it, right? And, and it sort of went away. Um, but, but the fact of the matter is that if uh, we, we need to be asking the questions of like, are we, are we trying to stop a thing that's happening? Or are we trying to stop the world as it now exists? Yeah. Because I don't think you like, you can't stop the world as it now exists. If things are fundamentally different about, about seasonal pathogens, then we need to, we need to be asking ourselves, are, do kids go to school in masks forever now? Because that's the, the arguments for masks in school sounds like that. Well, I mean, if, if the point is well until COVID goes away, and I think that your, right. your point is, and I think it's one that's well taken and supported by the evidence, then we need to start looking at a world that we live in with COVID, where we are safer from COVID, where we minimize COVID, but we need to think of a world in which uh, uh, that is just a, a reality that exists. And, yeah. and I don't know. Uh, I mean, again, it's like, to me, the number one drive is just vaccines. Like, like mm-hmm. it, can you convince anybody that is convincible to do it? Can we utilize what is happening now to try to illustrate in a way that maybe we couldn't do? I've, I've said on this show and, and on my live streams before, uh, uh, I would, I would like a, a manager in a baseball game. I would come out and I would, I would uh, thank Dr. Fauci for his service uh, in, in terms of, of being on television. He has done great. Congratulations, dude. You got everybody that you were going to get. I don't think anybody's like, <laughs> Who's this charming Italian man on my television? And how can he tell me how to get a vaccine? You got them all. You're like Pokemon. You got them all. And now our new spokesman, Jeff Foxworthy and Steve, (laughs) they are going to come out here and they are going to tell you about, you know, they're going to make fun jokes about whether or not you should get the vaccine, because that's the only thing that, that to me seems to, to reliably, if you look at those hospitalization rates, keep people out of the hospital and keep people out of the morgue. I I think the uh, and I don't I don't know how to do this and maybe it's a it's a pipe dream but the the depolitization of vaccines is is essential because uh, one of the things that drives me a little bit crazy is I if you ever see me talk about different vaccine vaccination rates than some other people do um, a lot of people will talk about fully vaccinated that's two doses as yeah. a percent of the po- population. I almost always talk about at least one dose of adults because, yeah. because under the adult level, the, the risk is, is substantially lower. So I just ignore them. Right. Um, and the reason I do that is because if you get one dose of the vaccine, you are, you have a pretty good protection. It's not yeah. as high protection as the two dose, 
but it's pretty good protection. And there's a lot of cases, if we could just depoliticize this whole stupid thing, there are a lot of cases where someone who's immunocompromised really only wants one dose right now. He wants to wait longer to get the second dose. Uh, young men under the age of 24, one dose looks like a pretty decent protection uh, with, without any of the risks. I mean, there's, there's been talk about young, young men specifically getting myocarditis after after getting vaccinated. Well, I'm here to tell you that's the risk is almost nothing with one dose. It's only yeah. after the second dose that any of those cases show up. And so like, if you, if you're a young man and that's stopping you get one dose, one dose, that's one dose and just, and call yourself good. Um, but you can only, you can only say those things when the, the situation has been depoliticized because otherwise people are going to be arguing about fully vaccinated versus versus partially vaccinated and, and people are going to give you grief for not getting the second dose. I mean, like everything, you can't make the sort of moderate half measure risk assessment decisions in a politicized environment. It's all or nothing. Well, and, and unfortunately by the numbers, it's still the number one political issue in the ah. country. It is, uh, uh, you know, even more front of mind than the economy, which is, you know, right. traditionally the, the, the number one thing. So right. it, it is, it is frustrating and, and, and even more so the thing that I worry about is that we politicians in general who I believe uh, uh, we can we can remove bad good from the equation and just say they the best of them are efficient and they are efficient at being reelected. Uh, the way that you get reelected is by connecting with a voter base, and right. oftentimes these issues, because we're human, are emotional. The problem with COVID, and I mean that in terms of like a a like a, a spiritual and psychic sense is like <laughs> right now it's the boogeyman that we want or, or fear it to be in our head. Like, yeah. uh, because we, you know, we got through this first thing and then there was a variant and now there are a large amounts <laughs> of cases. And let's say we get through the Delta, then people will be talking about the Lambda and then it'll be the mm -hmm. next variant. Now will be the next variant. And I, I hope, I mean, I, I think if there's one thing to go out on, is that we are better off now, like by every conceivable metric than we were a year ago, thanks to the Absolutely. vaccines. Absolutely. Absolutely. We are, um, we have great protection with vaccines. We have enormous vaccine uptake, uh, uptake uh, in high risk groups, right? Um, we have better, far better um, therapeutics. The uh, people have been talking about the monoclonal antibodies. Yep. They work. They're great. Um, and, and they keep people out of the hospital. Uh, and, and in addition to that, we have a, num a, a very, very large chunk of the United States that is, has some level of protection from previous infection. So we, we, are in a, we are in a much better spot. And, and it's one of the things, like, it, it's, I don't know how to tell people what to do other than subscribe to my newsletter, which feels like real self-serving, <laughs> but, but I've never, I've never, I don't see anybody just being like trying to do context around this. I saw yes. something just this last week that was like cases and deaths are going crazy in Oregon. And I looked at the numbers and it's 
not that bad, right? I mean, it's 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 higher than we want it to be. Um, yeah. But it's it's not anywhere. It's not even as high as their winter surge. And their winter surge was one of the best in the country. Yeah. So, like, that's that's a, a, I mean, the whole reason I do what I do is partly to keep myself sane because I read <laughs> the news and the news is is nutty. It just it yeah. does not reflect the context of what's going on in the world. So, I, yeah, so I. I think the re- the reason why I found <sighs> you and I've 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 been a fan of your work is because I'll read what you say, and mm-hmm. then I'll go look up the numbers, and they're consistent with what you're saying. It's 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 a very simple thing, and I'm not look. Uh, this could be a larger conversation about journalism, but like, oh yeah, journalism. Journalists in general are very 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 good at getting information and people to talk. Mm-hmm. I think that is a natural strength and it is, it is what makes the world go around when it comes to that field. It's never particularly done technology. Well, it's never particularly done science. Well, mostly mm-hmm. because I think those two pursuits are so technical and nuanced that you need a, a passion for it before you even know the questions and the people to talk about and, yeah. and get, get to talk to really do excellent stuff. And that's why when it's good, it's amazing when it's, when it's bad, which is, I think more of the, the, the rule than the exception, it can be extraordinary misleading, extraordinarily misleading. And this is such a gigantic story that I think it's, you know, it, it's, it's hard if you're a journalist to not run the quote of the overworked ICU nurse saying, right. All our beds are full. This is the worst. This is worse than we saw last uh, uh, winter or whatever. Without the context of, well, maybe for whatever reason, that hospital didn't get hit as hard. And now, like, it's getting it's getting hit worse. That doesn't mean things are getting worse than they were a year ago. They're they're absolutely not. Right. Right. Well, and one of the things that uh, one of the difficult things with hospitals is that hospitals are getting back. Hospitals are getting back to normal. They're treating yeah. patients who, who have needed treatment for, for a while and that they have kind of cleaned out their schedule, anticipating surges, getting surges. And so especially when you look at hospital overcrowding, they're dealing with cancer cases that have been that have gone ignored for 12 months. Yeah, you can't we can't we, we can't do this anymore. We can't ignore everybody and only deal with COVID all the time. And so um, uh, that, that was one of the things that talking to some certain doctors I, 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 you know, who, who've told me, oh, we've got a lot of people in the hospital. It's, it's really filling up. I'm like, and, and I ask about COVID, and they're like, oh, well, it's like a third of them are COVID, um, yeah. Because, because it's, it's when, when the, when this first started, they expected hospitals to be completely, they emptied out hospitals, yeah. expecting them to fill up with COVID patients, and a lot of places hospitals uh, suffered because they didn't have anybody coming in. They were empty yeah. hospitals. Um, and that was regional. And then there's a lot of context around that. But 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 the hospitalization is a weird one simply because this hospitals are now doing COVID plus normal. Whereas yeah. before they were in, they were in like a, clear it a, out. This is yeah. all COVID. Yeah. This we're all we're just dealing with COVID now. And so um, so yeah. It, which again is, is part of why I, I try, I go, I lean on the deaths number because that one doesn't, there's none of the, 
none of the gray area, right? Yeah. I don't have to, I just don't have to deal with all the complexity, which is as closely as I follow COVID, I'm just astounded. I there's so much stuff I don't know. There's so many little details about hospitals and about mandates and about different states and different countries. And, and I'm, I'm still playing catch up. And, and I've been doing this like nonstop for a long time. And, and just to bring it back to touch one more time on your mask mandate uh, of article uh, for schools, it was fascinating to me watching what, how other countries handle it and, and how they do or don't. Uh, you know, I think a lot of countries that, that, you know, in, in the shorthand, the lazy shorthand that we tend to use of like in, in our uh, American inferiority complex to Western Europe, <laughs> as we talk about the great enlightened uh, right. Western European democracies, yeah. a lot of them are handling it in very, very different ways. And and in yeah. ways that are very different than, than how our, our current political meta uh, mm-hmm. hashes it out. But uh, uh, Matthias, thank you, thank you, thank you so much again for joining us. This has been enlightening as always. Where can people uh, get on your Substack? Well, you can find my Substack at polymath, P-O-L-I-M-A-T-H, dot substack.com. And um, yeah, and and, uh, jump right in because I'm about to do a, uh, a post in the next few days that looks at the raw numbers. I go state by state looking at all the COVID numbers. And this is the first first time that I'm going to be showing everything that's happened in the last 12 months. So we'll be able to compare what's happening now to what happened in a winter surge. Uh, and I'm doing that just because I feel like it's an important context that we can't really understand what's going on without understanding what came before. I think it's going to be well worth it for anybody who has paid attention to this, which is, I don't know, everybody on the planet. (laughs) Matthias, again, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much. Politics, Politics, Politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. If you want to give a shout out to our guest, Matthias Shapiro, you can go to px3guest.com. And look, Shapiro likes to get into these Twitter fights. You know, he likes he likes to make some strident comments on Twitter, which means that his experience with Twitter is probably a hellscape. So if you enjoyed what he had to say, bring a little sunshine to his day and go ahead and say, hey, I enjoyed you on the PX3 podcast. It always helps. It always helps when we make people feel good on the way out. If you'd like to email, it is theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Our Twitter is px3live. Our Twitch is px3. Sorry, Twitter is px3tweets. Twitch is px3live. Our podcast can be shared at px3podcast.com. And our merch is at politicsmerch.com. Of course, you can always support me with a one-time payment at paypal.me slash payjury. The cash app is px3cash. Venmo is justin-young-20. And you can send anything physical, including fiat currency and checks to P.O. Box 15 31 84 Austin, Texas 78715 Again, that is P.O. Box 15 31 84 Austin, Texas 78715 Of course, you can always support the show by heading on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com that is where our Patreon lives. That is where you can sign up for the $3 Club, get two bonus podcasts each and every week 
That's what you get for your money. Two bonus shows each and every week handcrafted by your boy. And at the $10 tier, you can be a part of the Titanic $10 tier where you get your name read at the end of the show. And we got some new names here. Headphones Neil, Dr. G, the other half of Whiskey Wednesday, Idris, the Government Unfiltered Podcast, Under Mile Runner, Berkeley Stephen, Kathy Mag, Zombie Doc, D, really? Methuselah, honeysuckle. The Gen, Middle Age, Mike.com, Junkie, Calamity, Zap, D, Laser, Lord Scale, De Quince, Anile III, and Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Utah, Jimmy Montana, Chad, Amanda, Ye Old Pinball Shop, John, Benjamin, DP4 Bongo, Charles, Olin and Angela, DL, Miranda Janelle, Robert, David, Snuffies, Off Route 44, Chris, Casey, Paul, the most conscientious nonpartisan listeners, Brad, Richard, just another pilot, Will, J Pink, and Andrew. If you would like to join their ranks and be a part of the reason that we rise again on our Patreon, keeping independent political analysis alive. Ah! You can head on over to takepoliticsseriously.com. Until next time, this is your old pal, Justin Robert Young, saying... Some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more. Well, see, they talk about politics, but this, this is the only show that dares discuss. Oh. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio. Politics.